<laughs> My name is Dean uh, Bernocci, and uh, I was a pastor of Mission Road Church, or people call it the Japanese church, uh, down the street. And uh, the last year, uh, summer, I uh, retired, and so uh, I pastored for 42 years. Now I uh, attend Azure Hills because my son-in-law, Nick uh, Snell, is a new pastor there, and I go there because I have three grandchildren. Uh, these are my grandchildren, my daughter there, and we also have a son, and Victor, three grandchildren, and uh, my wife over there, Kathy, she, uh, <coughs> I am a third generation Japanese American called a Sansei, which means Sansei. And uh, I grew up uh, in California. My grandparents uh, immigrated from uh, Japan to Hawaii. That's where my parents were born. And um, my four brothers and I were born and raised in California. But 42 years of uh, ministry. Uh, Very happy to be here today. Uh, I'm sure that there is no children's story. So, I wonder if there's some children who would like to come up here and I can give you a little story. <laughs> Kids want to come up? No? Sit right up here. Come on up here. Let's see. Let me get a mic. One or two standing, come on. <laughs> All right. I'll tell you what. We'll, we'll form, we'll talk right here. <laughs> yeah. All right. Great. So, what do you want to talk? Uh, you, uh, switch it off. Okay. What does it say up there? Fear. You know who that uh, minion is? What's his name? Huh? Okay. I'm not sure. Is it Dave or Phil or one of those guys, right? And it looks like he's afraid of you. What are you kids afraid of? Are there things that make you afraid? The dark. The dark? What are you afraid of? Anything? Shadows. Shadows? Oh. Are you afraid of anything? Oh, yeah. I Shake the whole. 
earthquake. You folks out the earthquake a few weeks ago? No, you didn't? No, okay. Well, earthquakes are scary too. But anyway, one time I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of a thunderstorm. The problem was the light switch for the hallway was at the far end of the hallway where the bathroom was. And so in order to turn on the light, I would have to run as fast as I could because the, it was so dark. The shaking, there's lightning and thunder, and so I'm like, run down here, turn on the light, go to the bathroom, and then turn off the light, run again, and jump into bed. It was so scary. Well, you know, there's lots of things in life that scares us, uh, whether we want to admit it or not. But uh, today I want to talk about fear. And uh, in the book of Isaiah, uh, there are there's a section in which it talks about fear. And as you go through that passage, there are things that are actually are very similar to our life today. And so I'd like to look at a few passages found in Isaiah that speaks about how we don't need to have fear because we are God's people. Now, here is several passages, chapter 41 to 44, 40, uh, many different passages that talk about using the word fear or afraid. But what were some of the things that they were fearful of? First of all, Isaiah 41 11 says, All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Life has its fears and a lot of uh, stresses, but it's more difficult when there's people against you. Now, how many of you have uh, heard of the UN-sponsored World Happiness Report? Have any of you seen that? This is from 2015, and every year they rank 156 countries to see which is the happiest country and which are the uh, least happiest countries to live in. And here's the first top 10. Switzerland, Iceland, Denmark, Norway, Canada, Finland, Netherlands, Sweden, New Zealand, Australia. Now notice that the United States is not there. Notice it's kind of a trend, right? Uh, a lot of Scandinavian countries are the happiest countries to live in. And then uh, five is Canada, nine and uh, 11 New Zealand and Australia. Now, there's some interesting ones. Uh, notice that number 11 is Israel. Now, with all the countries that are against it there, you would think it wouldn't be a very happy place to live. You know, a lot of terrorists and everything, but Israel's number 11. Mexico is ahead of the United States. 15th is where the United States comes in. Alright? Now, I mentioned that I'm a Sansei. My grandparents came from Japan. Where's Japan? And where is Korea? Alright? How many of you, by the way, uh, were born in Korea? Are, are there any? Oh, are you over here? Okay. Uh, and how many of your parents were born in Korea? All right, even more. All right, where do they rank? 
down to 58, and South Korea, I think, is 54. All right? But, you know, we're not exactly the happiest place, uh, countries in the world. And then the bottom uh, three, Afghanistan, Hong Kong, and Syria. Now, I bring this up because Canada, I want to talk about Canada, the fifth happiest country in 2015. That same year, they did a study of 10,000 teenagers in grades 7 through uh, 12. 10,000. And this is what they discovered. That one out of eight teenagers worry about getting harmed at school. 5% of them had no friends and didn't fit in with their peers. Another 5% were hungry. Now, I know there's a lot, of, lot more than 5% hungry here, uh, but this is not talking about just missing a meal. These are kids who go to bed without eating or do not have any food before they go to school. That's the kind of life they live. They do not have enough food to eat. Another quarter, one of uh, out of four were bullied at school, one out of ten would get into fights, and one out of five were cyberbullied. This is the fifth happiest country in the world. There are kids that are fearful of going to school. What are some other things that people are afraid of? Back in 2011, Amy Chua, uh, a Professor wrote a book entitled Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. And this book created a lot of controversy. And a lot of people thought, oh, what a terrible uh, way of raising children. You know, they're very strict. And she tells us stories of how she would, uh, one of her daughters wouldn't practice her piano. And so she forced her to practice, wouldn't let her uh, eat supper, wouldn't let her go to the bathroom, wouldn't let her get a drink until she finished practicing, all right? Uh, that is the tiger mom, all right? Uh, but when that book came out, other people from other countries said, hey, you know, that's the way our mother was. And so uh, not only are there tiger mothers in, in, uh, from China, but there's tiger mothers all over the world, especially Asian mothers, all right? And so, the question is, who is scarier? <laughs> the tiger mom from China, the Korean mom, the Kyoiku mama, which is a Japanese education mom, the Jewish mom, or Indian mom. These all mothers are famous for being scary. Right? Some of you, uh, I was going to ask how many of you have a, a tiger mom, but I, I won't. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes fear comes from, from our own home. Now, many of uh, these young people who had tiger moms or moms who were very strict, later on in life, they were very grateful for that. Even uh, Amy Chua, who wrote this book, uh, her daughter would always defend her mother as well, saying that, you know, we didn't like it at the time, but we're glad that she. Us so that we can achieve. However, 
not everyone is that way. In fact, one of the problems today is that in many of these countries, the suicide rate among youth is very high. The number one reason for death among youth is often suicide. And it's a worldwide problem. And so fear can come from school. Fear can come from one's own home. In the United States, uh, it's not just uh, uh, kids, but also adults as well. In the United States, 18% of people have anxiety disorders, and one out of six uh, take drugs for that. It is a worldwide problem. I was studying up on, uh, in, in Japan, uh, one year they had over 30,000 suicides. 7% were men. The reason centered around work. Young men not being able to find a job or <coughs> middle-aged men were not progressing in their, their own uh, work uh, life. And so as a result, uh, many of them have resorted to suicide. What are the things that bring fear to your life? Are there people around you support you, or are you in a situation where you're afraid to go to school, you're afraid to show your mother your report card, you're afraid uh, to, to leave the house because things are not going as you like. There's another reason why God's people, back in Isaiah's time, uh, were fearful, and that was because they were living in a foreign country. Now, Isaiah rode around 700 uh, BC, but uh, he, uh, his book is divided up into two parts. And uh, the second part of his, of his book was actually written for people that came 100 years later. And uh, because God inspired Isaiah to write to those people who were taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. And so, one of the psalmists wrote, By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Now, I had asked how many of you uh, were born uh, not in the United States or America. Do you remember what it was like when you first came to the United States? Or do you remember what it was like for your parents? They were the ones that uh, uh, were <coughs> uh, born in the What was it like to live in a foreign country? I should get the microphone. Does anyone like to share? Would anyone like to share? I, I know a couple people. Yeah, I'm going to pick up. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like when you first came? Um, I think you were about 12 years old. So you're 1.5. Yeah, point five. So that created a lot of problems. But um, it was 
teenage um, female um, that'll walk in front of your school. So uh, it's a really that hard time making friends. friends. Exactly. means that I didn't grow up with Japanese. The only time I heard my parents speak Japanese was when they had secrets from us kids, right? <laughs> you would hear, you know, you hear your name, you say something, there are a few things that I could pick up, you know. But uh, when I uh, graduated from QC, uh, I uh, was a social work major, but afterwards I felt God calling me Sloppy, 
Did he look like a policeman to me? And so as we're leaving the kickoff, uh, I turned to the dignity uh, guy and I said, is he really a policeman? The guy said, yes. Well, the policeman heard me ask that question. And so when we went outside, we went ballistic. He started yelling and said, you don't know that I'm a policeman? You know, you can get in big trouble, you don't have a passport. And he kept going on and on, and sh uh, shouting at me, yelling at me. My daughter, she's driving out tomorrow, and she didn't know what we're going to do. Right? And so we got to the, uh, to the counter, and then I pulled out my license, I pulled out my, my pastor's uh, ID and everything. And finally, he believed me and, and calmed down. When you live in a foreign country, there's lots of things that you don't know what you're supposed to do. When you are in trouble, who do you turn to when you're living in a foreign country? And that was a situation in Israel, but it was also the situation for a lot of people, even in the United States. Of course, you know that in the United States, there is a lot of kind of xenophobia, you call it. People that, that uh, don't like foreigners, you know, our administration, they, they want to get rid of foreigners. And uh, a fear of deportation is a big uh, concern. I just read uh, recently of a kid who was 18 years old, and uh, he was born in the United States. Mexico and he was coming through. He had a birth certificate, he had an ID and everything. And they said, the police said, no, 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 those, those are phony. And so they put him in, into detention for over three weeks. Okay? He says it was a small room with 60 men. And uh, we hardly had any food, we could hardly take any baths. It was one bathroom for 60 men. And he lost 26 pounds. And finally, Problems with foreigners being afraid of being deported. Uh, notice that today we call this ICE, right? Before it used to be called INS. INS means what? Immigration and Naturalization Service, right? It's a service. Today it's called ICE, which means Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Now notice the difference in attitude. It used to be a service, now it's enforcement. And so there are a lot of people that are living in the United States from other countries who are very fearful of, of living in the United States. Uh, we have a, uh, one of our churchmen, an elderly man, who's from Japan. He didn't know that when you are stopped by a policeman, you stay in your car and listen to whatever they tell you. So he got out of his car. They told him, stay in your car. But he got out of his car anyway. And they took him up. Okay? He was bleeding all over. He didn't understand the, the, uh, the rules when you're stopped by a policeman. Fear, because you're living in a foreign country. Now, this next uh, point here, oops, 
know many of you were born in the United States, how many of you have been treated as if you were foreign? You know, one of the things I hate when people come up to me and say, oh, you speak English well. <laughs> <laughs> or, when did you come to the United States? How many of you have ever been asked that? Okay, I see a few hands. We had church members that were traveling in the Midwest. Now, because you're living in Loma Linda, a lot of Asians. And I hear that some classes in Loma Linda, one third or one, uh, maybe close to 50% are Korean. So you're in an environment where, where you might even be the majority. Okay? But if you go to the Midwest, that's not the case. We had church members that were traveling in the Midwest and they wanted to stay at this uh, hotel. There were hardly any cars there. And they were told, I'm sorry, we have no vacancy. They didn't want any Asians in their hotel. This is how people often are treated, even in the United States. There's a third reason why Israel had uh, lived in fear. Now this is a really interesting uh, verse. Isaiah 41.14 says, Do not be afraid, you were Jacob, little Israel. Do not fear, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Now notice, God is saying, calling Israel, or Jacob, a worm. Now, that's not very nice. But Isaiah is being sarcastic. And he's using phrases that Israel, uh, that was uh, evident of Israel's experience while living in Babylon. That their religion was a very unique and strange religion to the Babylonians. And so Israel was looked upon as a word, as being little. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den because his religion, his God was different from the Babylonians. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fire furnace because their God was different from the Babylonian gods. We live in a world in which often religion is put down. Now, there's a saying. When Japanese go to another country, they build a factory. When Chinese go to another country, they open a restaurant. When Koreans go to another country, what happens? No, not, uh, not a drama. Uh, <laughs> when Koreans go to another country, they start now that is an amazing thing. Out of all the Asian countries, the Koreans are the leaders in Christianity. Not only among the Asians, but even worldwide. Uh, one of my favorite authors uh, was uh, Cho Young. And he is uh, he's also known as Paul Cho and David Cho. His name is interesting. So I'm <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so but Cho Young. All right. Uh, he 
largest church in the entire world. And I tell you, it was fascinating reading about how these churches grew, you know, from using an American uh, pup tent and how it grew and grew and grew to the point where he had hundreds of thousands of members, okay? Uh, last time I remember reading, he had 700,000 members in one single church. Now, uh, when we were missionaries in, in now Japan, one time we flew uh, to uh, Korea, and uh, we wanted to visit the church. There's no parking lot, and yet they have 700,000 members, hundreds of 700,000 members, and no parking lot. Well, they uh, bus everyone to church. And as uh, we looked at it, the church was closed, and so I, I couldn't go in the sanctuary, but it was like a, a stadium. And I think it was 40, 50,000 uh, people can sit in the stadium, a big uh, seat uh, area. And yet they have 700,000 Wow. They have to have six, seven services uh, every Sunday. And uh, it, it's amazing. Uh, they, uh, the Koreans, are the leaders in when it comes to small groups, prayer, evangelism. Uh, I'd like to say that you know, you as members of Korean uh, church here, you folks have a great opportunity to reach out to other Asian Americans. There are a lot of groups that are very small where there are not many young people, and they're dying because of that. And for, for the Korean churches to bring in these uh, uh, different groups and, and support them would be an amazing ministry uh, for the Korean church. But they say that 70% of Korean Americans are Christian. The Japanese who have been in the United States, the majority of Japanese uh, in America have been born in America, and yet only one-third of them are Christian. Right? And so uh, there's a lot of Asians who need to be reached that perhaps there isn't church today. But anyway, the religious prejudice was something that uh, Isaiah uh, faced, but it's also something that we too face in, in our uh, society today. Does anyone know what, want know what this is? It's a spaghetti and meatball sushi. Have you ever eaten one? I haven't. I don't think I want to either. Right? The reason I bring this up is because there I read uh, a, uh, a talk by a delegate from Japan to the Vatican. And he gave a talk, and in this uh, talk, he compares Buddhism, Shintoism, Christianity, different religions. And then he comes and makes a conclusion. And the conclusion was this, that sushi and spaghetti are two really delicious foods, but only one is Japanese. Now what he was saying was that Buddhism, Shintoism, Christianity, these are religions, good religions, but only Buddhism and Shinto are Japanese. Is saying that Christianity will never become part of the Japanese culture. Until this day, uh, there's less than 
90% Christian in Japan. Even in, in uh, Christianity started in the 1500s, right? And, and still, till this day, it's only less than 1% that are Christian. And even if they come to the United States, very few become Christians. So there are countries where people have difficulty practicing Christianity. There was a student uh, from Japan who came to the United States, was baptized, became a Seventh-day Adventist, went to La Sierra, became a co-porter. Now, all the jobs, I, I did not think I would ever want to be a co-porter, <laughs> selling religious books, you know, to strangers. I just cannot see myself doing that. But he was the number one co-porter at La Sierra. He was amazing. He was enthusiastic. People just loved him. When he graduated, he returned to Japan. He stopped going to church. He met with uh, one of his friends who was also at La Sierra. He said it is too difficult to practice Christianity in Japan. Japan is a is a group oriented society, and so you have to do and be like everyone else. And if you're any different, people will put you down. Ostracize you. And uh, this young man had so much difficulty practicing Christianity. And you know, Christianity or one's religion is often very difficult to practice even in the United States. Our country is founded upon religious freedom. And yet, uh, Islamophobia, ever since 9 11, hundreds of millions of dollars have been raised by anti Muslim groups in the United States. Anti-Semitism against Jews. Uh, in the United States, uh, anti-religious hate crimes have gone up. Over 50% are against Jews. And today, liberal, educated, and rich Americans have become a very strong group going against evangelical so today, our society is changing, where even in the United States, being a conservative Christian is something that is looked down upon. I remember one young man in our church, uh, you know, when you go out to eat, you know, Adventist uh, traditions, you pray before you eat. Well, he used to be embarrassed about praying outside in a, in a restaurant. So he told me his, his message. He would drop his napkin. And as he's picking up his napkin, he says, Thank you. Amen. Do you ever do that? Do you ever feel embarrassed to practice your Christianity out of love? Sometimes we do. Sometimes we, we have that temptation uh, because around us, we might feel embarrassed. But these are some of the fears that we have. So, what does Isaiah say to the Israelites and to us? In Isaiah 41, 10, he says, Do not fear. For I am with you, do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous when I was a, after my freshman year at PCC, I was a counselor at a summer camp. 
uh, for Northern California conference. It used to be uh, pine crest, but uh, today we sold that property and now uh, we own the metal. But uh, I was a camp counselor at uh, pine crest, and uh, one of my friends, his name was Craig, he uh, was also a counselor. Now let me tell you, all the guys wanted to be in Big Craig's habit. That was because he was a big, strong dude. When he was in high school, he was at public school, he used to run track, he used to run hurdles. I mean, he was fast, he was big, and when we had camp uh, uh, competition in softball, he would hit the ball so far, sometimes we'd have to cancel the game because we couldn't find the ball. You know, that's the kind of guy he was. God is saying, look, you may have things around you that make you fearful, but your God is God. A God who is, who is the creator, a God who is almighty, a God who is in charge of everything. So don't be afraid. Now, Isaiah uh, gets a little sarcastic. And he says that the heathen, what do they do? They turn to their false gods. And as he's writing, he says, oh yeah, they'll get you know, people and the silver and they hammer this and hammer that. And for good measure, they have to nail the, the idol to the ground so it won't topple over. That's what the false idols are. They are not secure. We, we sang a song that said that uh, we have a foundation in God's love. Right? That is one foundation in Jesus. And if we put our trust in Him, in God, He is secure. The second point is Isaiah 42, which is our scripture. Because here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Now, notice. I have up here, it says, God sends the Savior, and who do I have? Cyrus. When Isaiah wrote this, he was writing to the Israelites who were in captivity. And he was telling them that God has already arranged for a Savior to come and to rescue uh, God's people from battle. Isaiah even writes, this is 170 years before Isaiah comes, and Isaiah writes that my anointed one, Cyrus, and he uses his name. And when Cyrus became king, they showed him what God had predicted and what he would do, and Cyrus complied. And we know this because, and we have found this Cyrus cylinder, they call it, and in there it talks about Cyrus when he became the king, and one of the first things he did was he allowed slaves to go back to their country God had provided a Savior for Israel. But that same passage can also be found in Matthew. After Jesus uh, performed a miracle, it says, This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. This, of course, to Jesus Christ, that God would send 
to appease our sins. Now, a little pause here that I'd like to give you. Often our lives are filled with stress or fear because we are trying to live up to the expectation of others. It could be our parents, our spouses, our bosses, or even our own expectations. We were created in the image of God. In other words, we were created to live with unlimited ability to grow and learn. And sin has marred God's image in us so that we are not able to live up to the full potential, our full potential. But Jesus saves us from this world of sin and our limitations and failures. When I go to heaven, I want to be tall, I want to be buff, I want to be handsome, I want to be uh, a brain. Alright? Things I'm not today. But in heaven, I hope that I will. While I'm here right now, I can be patient and to trust. The same for all of us. Sometimes we get all kinds of pressures that we gotta do it now. But we have an eternity to fulfill all the potential that God wants to give us. And so when you feel pressure, when you feel stressed, when you're fearful because you're not living to those expectations. To God. He understands. He knows. And He will assure you that don't worry, your time will come and God will give all things right. Why would God do that for us? Why would God send a Savior, the Almighty God, who created the universe? Why would He send a Savior? Because He is a he is the one who created, formed us, and called us his children. As I mentioned that I have three grandchildren. I am the grandfather, the Shijang, uh, or whatever you call it. And one of the greatest joys of being a father or grandfather is to support them. Love and to protect my family. You know, Louis' three uh, grandchildren, they're all different. Our uh, granddaughter, Indian, she's got a lot of energy and, uh, uh, you know, she's running around all over the place. She's uh, just a real character. Jumping out of the house. If you come to my house, our living room looks like a playground. Their house looks normal, but our house, you know, we babysit a lot, so it looks like a playground. Uh, and she's running around and jumping out of here. Our second grandchild, our grandson, uh, when he was born, he had a slight cerebral palsy. And so his right hand and his right feet covered. And he's slow, and he can't uh, keep up with his sister. Uh, whenever we do anything, he's always the last one, you know, and, and you know, I, I need to be patient with him and encourage him. He, he loves to talk, and that's probably part of his problem. And then our youngest, he has a uh, 
position of its chromosome. And so it is a very slow development process. Don't know what that has effects as far as its cognitive ability, uh, but it makes no difference to me. Don't let the fear, don't let the pressures of life weigh you down. But then turn to your happy father, love, and fear is love. In 1988, December 7, 30,000 more were injured. And uh, so when this earthquake took place, one of the fathers ran over to his, where his son was at school. It happened during school time. And when he got there, the school was leveled. It was flat. Other parents came there, and when they saw the devastation there, there was no hope of survival. And so parents started crying out, my son, my son, my daughter, my daughter. They had no hope of ever seeing their child again. But this one father had always told his son, son, when you are in trouble, I will always come to be with you. That is my promise to you. I, was always, I will always be there when you are in trouble. So this father began to pick up debris. He kind of knew where his son's classroom was, and so he started there, and he began to pull out debris. And he kept on pulling things. None of the other parents helped him. They assessed the situation. They realized that there was no chance, no hope that anyone could survive. But this one father says, no, I promised my son that I would always come. So he began moving away the debris. Other parents saw him and they said, Stop it. You know, you're wasting your time. He said, No, I made a promise to my son. And so he continued all day long. Pretty soon it started to get dark. Eight hours had gone by. Here he was, still moving debris. His arms were aching, his body, his back were uh, sore from all the debris that he. 12 hours. He was now going through the middle of the night, midnight. 15 hours, he was still moving debris. 24 hours, he was still moving debris. No sign of life. He continued on because of his promise to his son. 36 hours, 37 hours. Can you imagine how sore and bent his arm and body was? Forced himself to continue to move the debris to find his son. At hour 38, as he moved the big piece of debris, he heard a noise. And he 
our mob. And I told the other kids that you would always come for me and we're all waiting for you. And so, with help from other parents who now realize that through uh, survival, we need to move away from him. And his father not only got his son out of that regulation, but 13 other children because he had always promised that he would take care of the church. We have a God who is almighty, but because he is our heavenly father, because he sees each one of us as his children, we know that one day Jesus will keep his promise and he will come for each one of us and take us to a home where we can be, grow, develop into the image of God that God truly is. First John 4, 16-18 says, God is love. Whoever lives in his love lives in God and God in him. This is how God love made complete among us so that we will have complete will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world we are like there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear. May we all live a life with no fear